0: You're listening to a free audio version of my show, Rebel Roundup, where we cover the hottest Rebel stories of the week. Today, my guests are Sheila gunn and Kean Bextie. Now, if you like the podcast, then you should become a premium content subscriber that gives you access to the video version of my show, as well as shows from Ezra Levent and Sheila gunn It's only $8 a month to subscribe, and as a special bonus for you, we're offering a 10% discount if you use the coupon code PODCAST. Just go to therebel.media shows to become a member. You're listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, Environment and Climate Change Minister Catherine McKenna has flip-flopped more than a trout being plucked from a lake when it comes to confirming whether the carbon tax will increase in the years ahead. But thanks to the due diligence of Sheila gunn Reid, we now have an answer. If the Liberals are given another mandate, that carbon tax will almost certainly increase. Just wait till you hear the nitty-gritty pertaining to this story. And remember that bully in the employ of the Prime Minister's office who body-checked our own Kian Bextie a while back? simply because Kian was practicing journalism? Well, that goon might just be getting his just desserts. Kian has the full story. And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding that outrageous and odious tweet by ex-Prime Minister for a Day, Kim Campbell, who was actually rooting for Hurricane Dorian to touch down at Mar-a-Lago, You know, because that's where the U.S. president sometimes resides. Needless to say, very few of you were impressed by this latest example of Trump derangement syndrome. Those are your rebels. Now let's
1: round them up. Now, about all the flip-flopping. McKenna was completely honest. With her new american friends about her plans for our carbon tax and it is here in black and white for all of us to see on page 151 we see the liberals confirming plans to raise the carbon tax after 2022 just like the conservatives are saying the liberals will do here the overall approach will be reviewed in 2022 to ensure that it is effective and to confirm future price increases confirm Future price increases. Not contemplate, not assess, but confirm. The hike in the carbon tax, if the Liberals are re elected, is a sure thing, a done deal. It's confirmed. So, this is proof McKenna was telling foreign billionaires one thing while she was telling the Canadian public another. You just can't trust a single word she says. McKenna's intentions were and remain to raise the Liberals' carbon tax on everything.
0: So when it comes to the carbon tax, not only does Catherine McKenna flip-flop more than a trout pulled from the lake, she also talks out of both sides of her mouth. Indeed, it is getting so that it's almost impossible to believe anything that this so-called climate crusader says. So it's a good thing that we have our very own Sheila Gunn-Reed doing the digging that is oh so necessary when it comes to finding out what the true intentions are of this liberal government. Especially when it comes to the climate file. And joining me now is the host of The Gun Show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Sheila.
1: Hey, David. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, thank you again for joining me. So, Sheila, it looks like a done deal should the Liberals get reelected. Life in Canada is going to get a lot more expensive for Canadians thanks to a carbon tax that will surely escalate. Am I correct?
1: you are correct now if you're listening to catherine mckenna she doesn't know or not that she doesn't know but she can't keep her story straight she's flip-flopped several times on this she said that oh maybe we're going to reassess if it's going to go up or not maybe we've capped it at fifty dollars per ton in 2022 or maybe it's not going to go up at all or maybe it's going to go up well i know through access to information that she told a group of American billionaires the Silicon Valley censor type and Tom Steyer an anti-oil billionaire who's been funding a lot of the activism against Keystone XL a pipeline from Alberta through to the US that the carbon tax will definitely go up in 2022 if the liberals are reelected she told them that she's something to the effect of confirming price increases, not reassessing, not, you know, pondering, not analyzing, but confirming that her carbon tax is going to go up in 2022. So she's off telling anti-oil billionaires one thing while she can't keep her story straight in Canada. But I mean, really, who would want to campaign on making the cost of literally everything more expensive for all Canadians.
0: You know, Sheila, let's talk about the Silicon Valley, California billionaires. I find this angle absolutely fascinating. I don't understand it, to tell you the truth. I would dare wager that most Canadians, ordinary Canadians, don't understand this. Why is it that somehow the development of the Canadian oil and gas industry that these California billionaires have a dog in this race in the first place. What is the agenda here, Sheila?
1: Well, really, on some level, it's protecting the American market share. Um, We see a lot of foreign-funded anti-oil activism. They're dumping money into Canada, into our NGOs, and then they are waging legal battles to stop Canadian pipelines. All the while, Our friends in the United States keep exporting oil, drilling for oil, um, and it's making a lot of people rich in the United States. Um, On the other hand, though, you see a lot of the same activism directed at American pipelines. A lot of the same people and the same money was involved in blocking the Dakota Access Pipeline project. pipeline sat in limbo for quite a few years while Obama was in power. And then, once Trump came into power, he cleaned it up, signed the pipeline into life, and I think it was about 120 days later, it was pumping oil. It's really quite magical to see a timeline that fast for a pipeline when it can take up to 10 years here. Um, But yeah, our Canadian politicians, McKenna specifically, this was a three-day junket to California in 2017. To the san francisco area mostly um and when she went i wanted to know what the heck she was saying to these people why she was going to meet with them because as we know california likes to paint itself as one of the greenest states in the entire union when you know we know as canadians some of the if you think oil is dirty some of the most carbon intensive oil on the continent actually comes out of california it comes out of bakersfield <laughs> and uh, you know so while they're building uh, wind turbines and putting up solar farms california is still uh, drilling for oil and you know it, emitting carbon dioxide too but you know this isn't really about the californians isn't it's really about you know blocking the Canadian economy and the furnace of the Canadian economy, us here in Alberta.
0: And that is exactly the point where I'm so flummoxed, uh, Sheila, if this was any other sovereign nation that these California mm-hmm. billionaires were going to, saying, um, excuse me, but can you kindly dismantle your own oil and gas industry? Can you bring in <laughs> odious bills like Bill C-69, uh, You know, and, and maybe even uh, you know put your nation into a recession, for goodness sakes? Um, They certainly wouldn't get the ear of anyone. And yet here we have uh, McKenna, as you said, going over there spending days, I guess, getting lectured to. I mean, is it just because this fits into the Liberals' virtue signaling agenda that they're all about greenness too, and the way to achieve greenness is uh, A, uh, curtail projects, and B, tax Canadians?
1: You make a very interesting point there. The Russians would love for us to do the same thing. (laughs) Gazprom would love for Canadian gas producers to stop pumping gas, to stop drilling for gas, to stop fracking. Gazprom would love that. But if Gazprom asked us to do that, we'd lose our minds. We'd be saying things like Russian collusion, Russian interference in the Canadian economy. But if Californians do it under the auspices of being green, then we're more than happy to do it. And we go there and then we brag about how far we're willing to go to damage our own economy just to virtue signal to these American billionaires.
0: And here's the uh, second lose of the lose-lose argument of what's happening in Canada right now, Sheila. Uh, On another commentary, you noted that some $2.65 billion this year alone, because as you noted, more is coming next year if these Trudeau Liberals get uh, re-elected, is going to the developing nations of the world for their climate change strategies, whatever they may be. So in other words, we are um, basically committing economic Harry carry out in the oil patch and then somehow finding almost $3 billion this year alone to give to other nations to do some climate change? I don't know because, you know, the, the, in some cases the, the, the details aren't released and even the name of the recipient isn't released. It's to be determined later. Um, Sheila, what's going on with Justin Trudeau being so outrageously generous with our money to others when the veterans are evidently asking for too much? We have Indian reserves where the water is undrinkable. We have cities in Canada. Uh, pouring raw sewage into the ocean. I mean, we don't even have it right in terms of our fiscal priorities. How, how can that be justified, these billions of dollars, to, to other nations?
1: Well, and I can't see where there's any accountability. Like you pointed out, this is $2.65 billion. It's going to be reassessed and going up in 2020 if these people are reelected. We don't know where it's going. We don't know... Who it's going to? We don't know what sort of accountability measures are taking place on the ground to make sure that this doesn't end up in the hands of some warlord or gangster or corrupt developing world uh, autocrat. We don't under. There's none of that in these documents, and in some instances, it's just like a blank line that the money's been sent or allocated, but we don't know for what. And we don't know what these projects look like. The, they say it's going to combat climate change, but what does that even mean? How do you fight the weather in these places? I think a, a lot of the developing world needs electricity. Yes. You know when you, you know, you need garbage pickup. If you actually want tangible things done to make the environment around these people, these people who deserve better, cleaner, then What about water treatment? Well, you know, like you pointed out, we don't have a lot to talk about when we're talking about water treatment because many of uh, Canada's First Nations reserves don't have potable or drinkable turn on the, a lot of them are under boil water advisories or no drink altogether advisories. And we're pumping sewage into the ocean, both in the east and in the west. Yet all these funds are flowing out of Canada and we're in more debt than ever before.
0: Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, there should be an outcry. And one last uh, point on that uh, nature, Sheila. Yes, uh, a a couple of days ago, a story broke, which I found perversely amusing, which was the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. Um, They're going to try to get Ontario's so-called sticker rack shut down. That's where gas stations must put up a sticker indicating uh, what the carbon tax has done to the cost of a liter of uh, gasoline. Uh, first of all I find it funny that this is such an issue that the uh, Canadian Civil, Civil Liberties Association would go to bat for. And secondly, in the story I read, and I laughed out loud at this sentence: the liberties group says it is it was in its filing it was unable to find a single gas station owner willing to fight the law despite its diligent attempts. So it's going to war for I guess a a, a constituency that isn't even interested in war. What is your take on this, Sheila?
1: You know, you and I were talking off air, what a strange hill to die on. And if I worked in the cigarette industry, <laughs> I would fight it I I would be so happy that the Civil Liberties Association is taking this on. Because, you know, then what's what's the snowball effect of this? Oh, well maybe we don't have to have those horrible stickers on a package of cigarettes. You know, the, yeah. the Civil Liberties Association is Actively lobbying against transparency, <laughs> against the public knowing exactly where the dollars are going. I know here in Alberta. I don't know about Ontario, but on our gas pumps, we can see um, what portion goes to federal gas tax, provincial, yeah. and what portion um, is actually the cost of fuel. So, what's the difference if you just show people how much the carbon tax is adding to their cost per liter? I don't understand what the problem is. With a consumer knowing exactly what they're paying for it, like you said, it's a very, very bizarre position to take against transparency.
0: Well, Sheila, I think you nailed it. We've got to wrap here, but maybe that's what this is all about. These are people at the Canadian Civil Liberties Association vying for a job with the Liberal Party if they get re-elected, given their anti-transparency position. Oh, my goodness. It's No wonder Mad Magazine went out of business last month, Sheila. This is beyond parody, this stuff. (laughs) Listen, thank you so much, uh, Sheila, and uh, uh, we'll all be looking forward uh, to your further reports. Thank you again.
1: You got it, David. Thanks for having me
0: on. You got it. And that was Sheila gunn Reid, somewhere in the province of Alberta. Keep it here, folks. <laughs> More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this.
2: Charges may be one step closer to being formally laid against a senior PMO official and the former head of the Parliamentary Press Gallery. You may know him, Terry Gion. He body-checked a reporter in a hockey rink. A few months ago. It was yours truly, actually. He body checked me as I was covering the Prime Minister arriving at an Indigenous conference in Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan. He wasn't very well received, and I guess my coverage wasn't the kind of coverage that Terry Guion and his friends at Justin Trudeau's PMO are used to. Katie Telford is used to demanding positive op-eds whenever they need a little boost in the polls, but they don't normally get that from me, so they don't want me anywhere near the Prime Minister. Normally they resort to methods like kicking me out of the embassy. Normally they collude, the Parliamentary Press Gallery and the PMO, to make sure that non-sanctioned media are not allowed anywhere near the PM. Don't take my word for it, take the word of this young PMO staffer who admitted it on camera.
0: The Prime Minister's office has agreed with the Canadian Press Gallery that your
2: organization's views are not welcome. So
0: that's all I have. I'll get you to leave, but I just wanted to come to my So the Prime Minister's
2: office determines who can and cannot cover Canadian politics in the United States? It's a Canadian
0: embassy event, and you are also not an accredited journalist in the Canadian press gallery at a Canadian media event, and that's why.
2: That's spectacularly disappointing so they will let and you, pathetic. They
0: will escort you out? I don't appreciate that well, t- tone as I'm being respectful
2: with you. So. I, you're not being respectful. If you're being respectful, you'd let me cover my prime minister. Now, when that doesn't work out for them, when they can't keep me out through administrative ways, they resort to using physical force to intimidate reporters. That's what Terry Guion does.
0: Yep, that is indeed how this thug rolls. But thankfully, the RCMP is referring the case against this Trudeau staffer, to prosecutors and joining us now is the recipient of terry's body check none other than our roving reporter kian bexty welcome to rebel roundup kian hey david hey you know kian i've been doing some thinking about this and maybe this is your fault Kean. i mean after all you engaged terry at a hockey rink so given the venue maybe it was expected of you to wear a helmet and shoulder pads while covering this conference
2: Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think that goes without saying, whenever you cover any sort of liberal, um, they're predisposed to getting violent. Um, it, I mean, Trudeau's especially, it's it. Well, John Kretchan, when he grabbed that protester for one, but also Trudeau's dad, he's just uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree there. Trudeau's dad sicked his bodyguards on a Globe and Mail reporter in 1983, doing basically the same thing after uh, that Globe reporter asked unsanctioned questions, which is what I was doing. And the Liberals, particularly the Trudeaus, just won't have any anything to do with that.
0: You know, uh, Keen, whatever happened, I thought one of the unofficial slogan of the left, especially these days, is love Trump's hate. Uh, yeah. I mean, the idea that we're all supposed to have an inclusive big tent discussion on things, settle our differences this way, as opposed to using fists and uh, one's shoulders to take out a reporter that is asking questions that uh, they deem to be a little too uh, pesky. So what, what is the reality here, given that this is what they claim they're all about, uh, you know, the love and the civility. And when we face the reality, which is outright violence
2: um well the the reality is the liberals just don't want questions asked and they will resort to whatever it takes to make sure that dear leader trudeau is not embarrassed it could be i I mean you have the same experience with the parliamentary press gallery they like to use administrative reasons to keep us away from uh uh important people who we need to ask important questions to be it christia freeland be it uh, uh the minister of defense be it justin trudeau They'll say, oh, you can't come here because the Parliamentary Press Gallery hasn't sanctioned you to be here. But if we get in some other way or the Parliamentary Press Gallery, maybe they don't have jurisdiction there. Well, then they resort to violence because at no uh, there there's absolutely no way they will accept Justin Trudeau being asked a tough question. That's just not in their playbook.
0: Yeah, but you know what, Keen? I mean, if they didn't want the prime minister to embarrass himself, wouldn't they just simply confine him to quarters? I mean, I think of all the embarrassing things that he's done, such as his answer at that town hall where he called mankind people kind, uh, going on that trip to India, which became a uh, perverse example of show and tell uh, Indian style. Um, This wasn't the doing of, of any reporters. This is his own uh, his own self-mutilation, if you will. Uh, we're just trying to report what's going on there. Uh, brings to mind the old saying, uh, don't shoot the messenger.
2: Yeah, don't shoot the messenger is is right here. And I think Terry Guion in particular needs to hear that message. Um, he, like like you mentioned before, he used to be the head of the Parliamentary Press Gallery. And I, I, I really think he's the nexus between Trudeau's PMO and the Parliamentary Press Gallery because he moved sort of laterally in his career from the PPG to the PMO and it really illustrates the incestuous relationship there and I really don't think that Terry Guillaume ever really left the Parliamentary Press Gallery uh, when he went to the PMO. I think he just sort of merged the two organizations. Um, He has absolutely no time for reporters who are not mainstream corporate or government media. Uh, unless you're Rosemary Barton, you don't get to have one-on-one uh, chats with the Prime Minister. Uh, it's despicable. And it's Terry Guillon who is at the center of this, Trudeau's media lead liaison, or Trudeau's media advance lead, I think is his, his title. And he's the one that's body-checking reporters. He's the one that's colluding with the Parliamentary Press Gallery to make sure the reporters can't get in who aren't sanctioned. It all comes back to Terry Guion, and he might be paying the piper here if prosecutors decide to finally press charges on this criminal.
0: You know, Keen, I think that's a very profound point you've made about his previous connection with the Parliamentary Press Gallery, and it's simply this. The Parliamentary Press Gallery, as its name implies, is made up of journalists. These are people who you would think are all about free speech, freedom of expression, you know, putting elected officials, uh, you know, on the carpet with uh, pointed Mm -hmm. questions. And yet it's like they've all drunk the liberal Kool-Aid that they're supposed to be polite and almost facilitators of the liberal message. And, you know, maybe that's going to even intensify more so, Kian, when those $600 million worth of paychecks uh, to uh, print media uh, start finding their, their way into the mail uh, via, from the uh, PMO's office. Um, I, again, uh, I'm rambling on here, but it, 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 this really makes Terry Guion, um all the more despicable in my books because he is going against the credo of what he should be standing up for.
2: Mm-hmm. And I, I like to compare it to the Americans. I was just at the White House yesterday, actually, um, working with the uh, the the uh, press gallery there, the press corps, and their number one mantra is ask questions, ask questions, and they they can enjoy the First Amendment there. They 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 are given the ability to do their job. Sometimes they don't do it very well. Sometimes there is bias there, but it's different there compared to Canada because they are never hindered in doing their job they're always facility like the, the president will always do his very best to make sure that they're able to do their job as poorly as they do do it here in Canada it's the other way around we're not allowed to do our job uh, we are being roadblocked whenever we get to uh, you know I, I've shown up to press conferences with Trudeau in Ottawa uh, when he was announcing Trans Mountain Pipeline, the nationalization of that, I showed up at the press conference. I went to go in. I'm from Alberta. The uh, and i you know, I'm I'm someone and I and I report to people who are going to be most affected by this decision. And the only people that they let in were you know, reporters from from Ottawa who weren't really asking any questions other than. Oh, did you consult indigenous people on this decision, or are you going to continue to consult uh, consult indigenous people? They don't ask any questions about Albertans' jobs, uh, the people who are out of work, or if uh, Justin Trudeau has really any honest plans on how to get shovels in the ground, especially in light of this, uh, you know, these six six appeals uh, that are coming in um, from the court of appeal that the government just didn't, uh, you know, stand up to. They didn't. They didn't file any documents in regards to that. And that's something that we could have asked about at that press conference but we weren't allowed in again now now i'm the one rambling but i just you know the difference between uh the united states washington press and uh canadian ottawa press is just so stark and it's because our press corps our parliamentary press gallery has this incestuous relationship with the prime minister's office it's despicable is disgusting and the PPG should be, you know, it should be dissolved as far as I'm concerned.
0: And, and you know, you when you raised the um, the idea of the First Amendment, Kian, uh, my only dealings with the Parliamentary Press Gallery was back in June when uh, uh, my cameraman, Efren, and I went to Ottawa and we wanted to cover the hearings about reinstating, essentially, Section 13, which was something Stephen Harper got rid of, uh, thankfully, in um, uh, 2013. And this section in the Canadian Human Rights Act, it's best described as the anti-First Amendment. This is all about, um, you know, a clause where you can put in a claim for hurt feelings if uh, you hear uh, something that you disagree with or something that upsets yeah. you. It, it's a terrible, terrible thing uh, to uh, be brought back. And the irony was so perverse, we drove all the way to Ottawa from Toronto, and they could have told us ahead of time they were not, were not going to give us press credentials. They instead waited till we got there, which I think was deliberately spiteful. And secondly, um, why? Why would you pick and choose what media is going to go into uh, a committee hearing which is about bringing in censorship legislation, which you guys as members of the press seem to be in support of? I mean, Kian, this is beyond parody. And it, it adds to your point how there's almost a collusion, it would seem, with the uh, journalistic establishment and the prime minister's office. And I think we're we're in for even darker days uh, when you see these kind of uh, Section 13s uh, potentially coming back.
2: You're, you're right. Um, I think your point about showing up and arriving there and then being personal, pur- purposely vindictive about it, I think that's absolutely true. And I've had that same experience with them. Um, uh, yeah I, I, they are personally vindictive and 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 i i don't want people to to misunderstand what i'm saying here when i'm saying the pmo and the parliamentary press gallery collude this isn't an opinion of mine we have proof of this when i was recording a uh a trudeau staffer as a pmo official a very young guy who probably didn't understand really what he was saying, he didn't know that this probably should be kept as secret as possible, Uh, he admitted to me when I was trying to get into the Canadian Embassy in Washington that the PMO, and and I think this is verbatim, you should watch the video on this, the PMO and the Parliamentary Press Gallery have talked and they've decided that your views aren't welcome here. What views? (laughs) I just report stories, I ask questions. Sure. Maybe I have a view that this this prime minister is corrupt and crony, but that I mean, I don't have views. I I report, and and them deciding who can and cannot get into an embassy. This collusion between the PPG and the PMO is just despicable. I'm getting angry now.
0: Well, well, don't get too angry there, Bruce Banner. I don't want you hawking out. Uh, but, you know, it's part of an ongoing uh, narrative. Uh, the PMO's office goes to UN conferences in which uh, we're banned from attending. I, myself, in May got frog marched out of um, a press conference held by Miriam Monsef, uh, which was about celebrating World Press Freedom Day. You know, Ken, like I said, it's beyond parody, uh, we got to wrap it here, I hope we this guy gets his day in court, I don't know what's going to happen from here, but at least it looks like your complaint is being treated seriously, and he has been delivered a message, um, yeah. When it comes to the sticks and stones part of that old uh, nursery rhyme, that's not acceptable. Uh, Not in a democracy where we uh, ostensibly or in theory have freedom of speech. So good luck, my friend, and uh, maybe uh, drop by uh, Pro Hockey Life and buy some new equipment for the next uh, Trudeau presser, okay? (laughs) Sounds good, David. Thanks for having me. Okay, then. And that was Kian Bexty in Calgary. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. David Menzies for the Rebel Dot Media here in Palm Beach, Florida, just outside the oh-so-opulent Mar-a-Lago. Now, folks, many people in this state are hunkering down in case Hurricane Dorian does touch land here. But there is one notable person back in our great dominion of Canada who is actually cheering on the hurricane and hoping that the trajectory of Dorian will lead it right here to Mar-a-Lago. And that, of course, is former Prime Minister for a Day, Kim Campbell, who actually tweeted, I'm hoping for a direct hit on Mar-a-Lago. And why would Ms. Campbell hope for such a hit? Well, of course, this is the stomping grounds of President Donald Trump. And I'm afraid Ms. Campbell hates Donald Trump. And I'm not exaggerating, previously, she referred to hit the President as a mother effer of course she used the full word in her tweet it's despicable it's despicable because well the president's not even here so if Kim Campbell were to get her wish and this hurricane did touch down here it would be causing destruction and killing innocents uh, people that are in no way affiliated with the President. I guess she didn't quite think that through. Well, needless to say, Floridians were not impressed with Kim Campbell tweeting such vile and ludicrous statements. Nor were you impressed with her lust for a natural disaster to touch down upon Mar-a-Lago simply because she has political differences with President Trump. Indeed, here's what some of you had to say about Campbell's odious tweet. Daniel Grant writes, what a sick person you are, Kim Campbell. Grow up. What a disingenuous apology, too. Well, Daniel, that tweet is certainly sick, and I think it is all the more sick, given that it is emanating from a person who was once the, holding the top office in Canada, albeit briefly, of course. As for the apology, it took a long while coming, with Campbell originally telling her critics to get a grip. And then she said it was all just a joke. Really? Really, Kim? If that is your idea of comedy, where exactly is the punchline? Miscellaneous Silliness writes, Kim Campbell, irrelevant NPC, just looking for some attention. She's been ignored and neglected for so long that she will say and do anything for a little attention. Uh, Yet, here's the thing, Miscellaneous Silliness, the Trudeau Liberals have no problem with her mean-spirited nonsense. Kim Campbell will continue to serve on in a committee that vets Supreme Court judges. Yep, that's exactly the kind of person I want to see in that particular role. Tony in Southwark writes, Is hoping for a -a Mar-a-Lago to be destroyed a form of hate speech? I think so. Well, Tony, the goalposts on hate speech are always being moved about these days, but let's put it this way. Hateful words directed at President Trump is essentially politically correct hate speech. And that sort of hate speech is applauded, not denounced, by many on the loony left. Lori McNeil writes, Kim was PM for about a New York minute. She was voted out as soon as we could get her out. Who really cares about KC? Well, indeed, Kim Campbell inherited a PC majority government. And when the 1993 election took place, some four months after that inheritance, well, that PC majority government was so decimated that Kim Campbell could hold a caucus meeting in a Mazda Miata, meaning it was reduced to just two seats. You'd think with that kind of legacy, Campbell would keep her mouth shut for the rest of her life. Apparently not. And Little Miss So it all writes, All respect lost for Campbell now. What kind of leader wishes harm on any human? Sad, sad state in Canada. We really have lost our charm and charisma in the last four years. Hopefully, we can get our country back come election time. And a big amen to that, little Miss All. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.